Well, this past Friday, we were able to go with a local sheriff's deputy, um, Officer Sam, who's just love him to death. He's got a great heart for the community. And, and, uh, and so we actually took about 12 people with him, and we just drove into neighborhoods. He, he, we already had these certain neighborhoods planned out, these uh, kind of lower-income neighborhoods. And we just pull up, and uh, the first neighborhood we pulled up to, it's funny because we saw a bunch of people kind of sitting around a porch, just kind of doing you know, what they were doing on a Friday night, right? Just trying to chill. And we pull up and, uh, and, and, and he turns his lights on. And it was like, you could, it was almost like people were like, like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, I think one person even ran. I, I, I you know, it's just like, and, and office, the officer said, he's like, look, we're, I'm not here to do any of that stuff. I'm not running anybody's names. That is not, so we get out quickly. We're like, no, 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 we're with Generation Church. But what happens, this is what is so cool, because you're like, well, why would you want to scare them? What happens is, is once they realize why we're, th- why we're there and we're handing out drinks and snacks, and then everybody starts looking out their window, and then they all start coming out. And before long, we had a, just a whole bunch of people. And, and so our team just literally spread out and was praying for people. Two people found Jesus for the first time and committed their life to Jesus. And other people, I mean, just, just being able to uh, encounter God and receive prayer. And it was just so, it was so amazing. So we went there and we went to another neighborhood and just literally a bunch of people walking down the street. We just pull up with a cop, lights on, and just all get out of the car. And they're like, what? what's going on? As a matter of fact, at one point, there were these teenagers, a group of teenagers, and the mom saw what was happening, and she starts running over there because she thinks something's wrong. And then we get to pray and minister to the mom as well, so it was great. Uh, so, man, thank you so much for just uh, being a part of that. We believe here that we got to get, get this thing out of this building. Right. And, and, and just that's that's one of the ways. Also, another way is through our media. I mean, we're having so many people now watching our our services from all over the country. I get messages from people in Texas and Washington State and Tallahassee, Florida and uh, all over that are saying, hey, listen, I'm tuning in every week and and sending me just personal messages saying, thank you so much. You're making a, an impact in my family's life and in my marriage. And we tune in every week. And so literally thousands of people are tuning in and watching what God is doing right here. I think that's a pretty cool thing. And I don't know about you, but I kind of think this is just the beginning. I really do. I think it's just the beginning because God's heart is that people would come into full relationship with him. Amen. All right. Are you ready to jump in this morning? All right. Exodus chapter six. As you're turning there, we are continuing our series today on living free. And uh, living free, we've talked uh, for the last six weeks, this is the sixth week, and we've talked about this, these promises, these four promises that God has given to us, or you could say this process of freedom, because how many of you know God doesn't just want to get you saved, he wants to make you whole, he wants to see you free, and not just, not just pulled out of Egypt, but, 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 but getting Egypt out of you for, you know, getting moving beyond yesterday so you can have purpose for today, and then plugging into the body of Christ and understanding your gifts and how you were designed and all of these things to make us whole and live in the freedom Christ has called us to live in. What's amazing is the last couple of weeks, we've, we were in, in this second promise, which is that where, where God said that I will deliver you. And so we talked about unforgiveness. We talked about anxiety. And I'm telling you what, man, I, people have been getting set free from some things. God's been showing up in people's lives. And people are just dealing with issues that God brought to the surface. And people are coming to life. People are getting free. Come on now. That's what it's all about. So we're going to continue today, but we are in the third, we're, we're, we're starting the third promise, the third promise, and I want you to go to your text with me, it's in Exodus chapter 6, and I want to just look at these four promises again from the Word of God. 
Exodus 6, verse 6 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. That's the first promise. I will bring you out. That's the salvation. And the second promise is this, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. So not only am I going to bring you out, but I'm going to deliver you from the slavery mindset, from, from living like a slave. And the third promise is what we're going to talk about today. And I will redeem, say redeem, redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Let me just pause and say this. This is the only promise in these verses where he actually tells us how he's going to do it. He tells us how he's going to do it. And then it says in verse 7, then I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I, I would say it like this. Uh, then and only then will you understand what it means to be a Christian. Then and only then can you live the way that I've designed you to live. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This third promise from God is to be redeemed. And I want to look just for a minute on what, uh, what this word means. The word redeem means to buy back or to repurchase. It means to repair or to restore. It, it, it goes back to its original intent. To its original intent. One survey said that 87% of Christians never embrace this third step of freedom. They get stuck in yesterday. So 87% of people who are in church every single Sunday are stuck in this, in this place of, yes, I'm saved. And yes, I go to church, but man, I am just dealing with all kinds of things. I can't get out of the pain of yesterday or the grip of this or that or unforgiveness or anxiety. I just, I'm living in this place and never make it to this place of being redeemed back to your original design. It's interesting because he says, with an outstretched arm. I love that he actually tells us how this is going to work. He says, I'm going to stoop down with an outstretched arm, and I'm going to pull you out of the mud, and I'm going to bring you up to my point of view so that you can begin to see yourself the way I do. How many of you know sometimes we got to get out of the mud before we can see truth? we got to deal with yesterday before we can live free today. And God wants to redeem you back to your original design. This is not, let me just say this, this is not the absence of strongholds in the same sense that, that good is not just the absence of bad. So to be redeemed back, to be bought back, to be brought into your original design is not just that you got free from some things, but that you understand what you've been given who you are, how God sees you. You know the grace that God has placed on the inside of you, the way he designed you. You need to know how you were designed so that you can function the way he has called you to function. How many of you know this? God didn't want to just save you and leave you. Because if he did, he could have zapped you up right when you said yes to Jesus. And you're still here. You're still here. So that means you're here for a purpose. Maybe some other people got zapped up. That's what maybe the empty chairs are for. But you're here. And I'm here. I don't know. But we're here for a reason. And we need to find out what that, what that reason is. 
How does God, we need to see how God sees us. And let me just say this today. Today is a little bit more teaching. Today I have a lot of content, but it's content I'm praying that you receive and that the Holy Spirit can allow to land in your heart. Um, and so if I don't get loud, it's just because I'm in teach mode today. Although first service, I still got loud. So sometimes I just can't control it. But I'm going to teach you today because uh, I, I think what God wants to say is good. We need to see us. We need to see how God sees us. Look at Jeremiah 1.5. I want you to see this. Jeremiah 1.5 says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were even born, I, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Did you catch that? Before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. Can I just stop for a minute and say something to you? That's why at Generation Church in this house, we are very much so against abortion. I just need to know that. I don't want to sugarcoat, and, I, and this is not a, by the way, th th this is not a political side uh, or anything. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is life, and this is God's design and God forming inside of the womb destiny inside of somebody. And so that's why I can, I can you know, I can say with all confidence, man, God is, the, God is the designer in the womb. Who are we to mess with that? All right, I'm going to let that land. But look, at, look, look in verse 6. He says this. Then I said, I want you to see something. As we read these next few verses, God's called Jeremiah. And, and, and he begins to deal with, with, is he qualified? And then I want you to see how God kind of swoops in and says, this is not so much about you, but this is about me working through you. So see this. Look in verse 6. And he said, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I will, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant, Jeremiah. This is not about your inadequacies. This is about your surrender and allowing me to work through you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the power to do what I've called you to do. Y'all still don't believe me, so I'm going to go to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. Put it on the screen for me. Ephesians 2.10, it says this. For we, somebody say, that's me, are his workmanship. And that word in the Greek means to a masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for average works. <laughs> created in Christ Jesus just to fake it till we make it. Just to slide in on Sunday and slide out. Come on, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared once he saw how good or bad you would be. You need to see this. Which he prepared beforehand, beforehand that you would walk in the very things that he designed you to walk in. 
We need to know our design. We need to know how God designed us. Let me say this. As it relates to uh, just searching for what God's called us to do or our, our purpose or our, our calling, you know, uh, many people search for their destiny without even knowing their design. And, and I'm here to tell you that, that your design will reveal your destiny. Or in other words, when we understand our design and the way that we were created, it will then reveal to us the very purposes that he's called us to accomplish. We get it backwards, though. We're searching for, oh, God, I just need to know what you called me to do. I just need, oh, what's my purpose? Like, what's the purpose in life? And, and what are the things that you want me to do? And the, all the while, not even truly knowing the gifts that he's placed inside of us. Not even knowing who he's called us to be and how he sees us. So your design reveals your destiny. How did God wire you? How did God gift you? See, to understand your design, we need to understand our gifting. So Kimmy, let me just switch gears now. Can we talk about gifts? Can we talk about gifts of the Spirit or from the Spirit? Did you know that you have a gift from God? Did you know that? That you were designed and gifted with something very specific to walk out in the kingdom of God. Two questions that we're going to talk about as it relates to gifts, and they're the questions that I get the most as it relates to spiritual gifts, and they are this. What if I don't have a gift? And then the, the second million-dollar question is, how do I find my gift? Anybody asked that question before? How do I find my gift? And let me just start by, by saying this. My, my journey into the gifts of the Spirit uh, is probably different than yours. Um, and as we all know, as it relates to denominations, sometimes the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be kind of a hot topic or a, or a divider. And you start talking about things like that, and they label you a certain way. And uh, I came, I grew up Baptist. And by the way, I'm very thankful for my Baptist background. Very thankful that, that I learned the, the importance of the Word of God. And how many of you know, I, I'm just going to tell you that, that as long as I'm pastoring this church we're going to preach from this book all right we're going to preach we're going to hold up this standard so in other words all throughout the ages culture will change God's word never changes and I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word and I grew up with that instilled inside of me an understanding of the word of God and I appreciate my Baptist background but man, I've also been a part of some charismatic churches. Come on, where are my Pentecostals at? Come on now, where are my charismatics at? And I appreciate my uh, time in, in certain churches. Man, I, I feel like I've been a part of all, I, I've been a part of some crazy Pentecostals. I mean, y'all, y'all probably, y'all don't know the crazy crazy ones I'm talking about like just all over I mean it's just all over the place and you don't even dive into scripture because you're just too busy dancing and jumping over chairs right and I've been in some really solid charismatic churches who preach and teach from the word of God yet embrace the spirit and the gifts of God but see I've been in some Baptist churches that that were full of the spirit and loved God and were very anointed but I've also been in some Baptist churches that were dead and dry and doing nothing for the kingdom of God. 
what, what am I trying to say through all that? Here's what I'm trying to say. It don't matter what you put on your church. It does not matter what denomination you say that you affiliate with. The fact that you tell me you're a Pentecostal does not tell me that you walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit every day. Come on now. Because guess what? I've met some Pentecostals who live like the devil. And I've, let, I've met some Baptist, solid, just sturdy, just anointed people. And I've met some dried up Baptists. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. And I just wanted to say that from my perspective, I, I, I've been trying to pull on both sides. I'm trying to pull on both sides and say, man, we need the doctrine and we need the theology of the Bible and the knowledge of God. But my goodness, we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in our life every day. If we are going to continue what Jesus left us here to do. How many of you know he ascended and he said, it's better that I go. Because I can have a whole bunch of little Holy Spirit people all over the world doing the work for me. So we have to understand what that looks like for us. We need to understand what that looks like in our own lives. So the first question is this. What if I don't have a gift from God? Well, I don't got a gift. That's good for you. I don't have a gift. Well, I want to talk about two types Two types of spiritual gifts today that we need to understand from Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to start out talking about manifestational gifts. And why do you need to understand these? Because, man, we need to understand, you know, how, how this works. And can I, you know, do I have these? Can I operate in these? Or do I just read it and, and just, you know, just watch other people? Like, what, what, it, how, what does this look like for me? A manifestational gift from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they are listed as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now let me say this about a manifestational gift. Look at verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one as he wills. So these gifts that I just read are not technically yours or mine. They are the Holy Spirit's that he gives to us as he sees fit for certain circumstances and situations. So in other words, you and me can operate in these. Doesn't mean we own them. We're going to talk about Romans 12, a motivational gift, which we have, which is in us. But these are gifts that at any moment God can use in us and through us to accomplish something for his kingdom. But see, most of the time, we've been taught that these, these gifts and all of this stuff and the prophetic and the, the, the tongues and all that stuff is weird and it's for the crazy people. And the Holy Spirit loves it when we think that way. He loves it when we think that way. When we just ride it off, oh, that's just for the crazy. He's like, yes, yes. So thankful they don't have an understanding of the gifts that are available to them. I'm so thankful that they think it's only for the weird people because they're never going to operate in them. Because unbelief will block you every single time. It just will. It'll block you. So I came to realize, as somebody who's kind of been on both sides of the coin, and I'm challenging you this morning to think with me this way. If I see it modeled and taught in this book, I'm going to believe it. 
oh, but you don't understand. It goes against my, I don't care. But, 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 but my, my denomination, I, I just, that's great for them. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach about this topic? And here, here's the thing we have to understand as it relates to gifts. Most of the time, we, because, we, because we see weird people that are operating in these gifts, we think it's only for weird people. Well, I'm not weird, so that's just not for me. And I've said this before, but the problem is that th those people are weird even without the Holy Spirit. So it really don't matter. But there's a very, there's a, there's a very normal way to operate in the supernatural in the everyday life from a normal person did you know this you could get a word of knowledge for someone else you could it's it says it right there so unless you're trying to say did you realize that there there are whole chapters in the new testament that people say ah this is not for us today that was just for them. So you're telling me that God inspired these writers to write whole chapters in the New Testament about things that would not apply to you or me. Fine, tell me one other topic that that relates to. There's not one other thing in the New Testament that you could say an entire chapter is devoted to that, but it doesn't mean anything for us. But we say that about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, that's just not for me. That's just for the weird charismatics. Can I tell you what cares? The, the word charismatic comes from the word we're about to read. It, it come, it's the word translated gift that we're going to see in Romans 12 where it says, and each one of you have been given a gift. And that Greek word is charisma, which is where we get the word charismatic, which means all of y'all are charismatic. All of y'all are charismatic. Y'all are squirming in your seat. I ain't no charismatic. So the manifestational gifts are available to us. Let me just give you one illustration because it just happened Friday night. And I, I've just been kind of praying and asking the Lord. I've been saying, God, if you, I, I want to be listening because I know if I don't step out in faith, you're not going to show up. My unbelief will keep that gift from flowing through me every single time. And see, we were talking to people where there were walls. And, and how many of you know, if there's somebody that you're talking to and you have an open door to share Christ with and there's a wall there, you, you tell them something they, that, that I shouldn't know about them. And you watch that wall just crumble. And so as I'm sitting there talking to a guy and, and ministering to his family, and, uh, and I just begin, I said, man, I just need to pray for you, but, but let me ask you something. Do you have pain? Here's what happened. I felt a little, a sharp pain in my shoulder. And for some of y'all, you're going to be like, this is weird. Just say whatever you want. I don't care because, I, because of what happened. I felt a little pain in my shoulder. And I thought, well, that could just be pain. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not God. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like talking. You ever been thinking as you're talking to somebody? I'm like, talking to God. I'm like, God, is that you? Are you trying to tell me something? And I was like, I'm just going to step out. And I said, I want to pray for you, but by chance, do you have pain in your upper shoulder right here? And he goes, he said, I can't even lift my arm higher than this. How did you know that? And then he kind of stopped and he said, and, and, and what's weird is right when you said that, my shoulder is hot right now. I feel warmth in my shoulder. Now, how many of you know this? And we began to pray over him and minister to his whole family, and God showed up. But how many of you know, I could have easily just said, I need to take some aspirin when I get home. My shoulder hurts. Or I could have been like, Lord, I'm trying to hear something because I know a word from you to this guy can break down a wall, and it's exactly what it did, and it allowed an avenue or a lane for me to begin to preach Jesus to him. And he began to receive it and tear up. 
And I said, you know God sent us here tonight. He said, yes, I do know that. Yes, I do know that. My shoulder is still hot right now. Of course I know God sent you. And he's all ears. A word of knowledge. That was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't my gift. I wasn't like pulling out of my tool belt. Oh, word of knowledge on this one. I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit because it's his gift. And I said, God, if you'll, if you'll give it to me, I want to operate in it right now for this guy, not so I can look cool. Manifestational gifts. All right, go to Romans 12, because i got to talk to you about a motivational gift, and that's where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time. Romans 12. How many of you are awake and alive today? Amen. Thankful to be saved. Romans 12, starting in verse 6. It says this, having gifts or charisma, it means a grace Charis, a grace gift, a grace gift. Having grace gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Somebody say us. And then it says, let us use them. And I love that because that's me and you. That's not just me. That's, that's, you're not off the hook. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Your motivational gift determines how you see and respond to situations in life. And every single person in this room has one of them. Wouldn't it be important for us to know what that one was? In other words, you've been wired as a child of God, and, and you are motivated. In other words, you react and respond a certain way to situations because of the grace gift inside of you. So, so what happens is, is the very thing that, that divides churches should be the very thing that unites us. In other words, gifts like this can divide or they can complement each other if we understand them. If we understand them. So we have prophet, server, teacher, exhorter, giver, leader, and mercy. And uh, I, earlier this year, in the, the beginning of the year, I did a series on the Holy Spirit. And I, you can go back to our website and you can view these. I went a lot deeper into understanding the gifts of the Spirit. And I used this illustration. I'm going to use it again because it just explains it so well. And half of you or, or more were not here. So uh, I'm going to illustrate the, this, the motivational gifts in this way. Imagine if all of us in this room, uh, there were one of the seven gifts in the room. And we're in here and we're having a birthday party. And somebody walks through that door with the cake, big old birthday cake, and they trip over themselves and cake goes all over the floor. And all of us together turn around and look at this scene. And we respond in certain ways based upon the motivational gift that we were given. Well, let me, let me explain this to you. The prophet, the prophet might say, you need to be careful because their motivation is to correct the problem. The server might say, oh, let me help you clean it up because their motivation is to meet a need. A teacher, and I love this one, a teacher might say, well, it fell because it was too heavy on one side and which could have been avoided if you had checked the balance of the dish when you made the dessert or before you lifted it from the counter. Their motivation is to discover why it happened. The exhorter 
would, would say, next time serve the dessert from a different dish and everything's going to be okay. Their motivation is to encourage and prepare for the future. A giver might say, oh, I'll be happy to buy a new dessert. Their motivation is to give to meet a tangible need. They were wired that way from God. The leader might say, Jim, would you get the mop? Sue, please help pick it up. Mary, come help me fix another easy dessert. Their motivation is to help the group work together to achieve their immediate goal. A mercy gift would say, oh, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. They want to comfort the person responsible for the mess and offer sympathy. In other words, there, there are people who could care less about, about the future or, or the cake or, or, or why it happened or who's going to clean it up. All they're doing is focusing in on the person who dropped it, and they want to come put their arm around that person. And they want to say, don't worry about all this stuff. It's going to be okay. It's, going to, it's fine. It could have happened to anyone. They're comforting them. Why? Because they were given the gift to mo and motivated in that way. Do you see how this works? How most of the time in the body of Christ, we are responding to certain things in different ways and it's causing division when it should be uniting us together to accomplish the goal. They should complement each other. How many of you know you need a leader? You, you, you need the person who's going to, you need the teacher to say, well, look, next time, yeah, we, we need to do this. And, and if we were going this direction and do this, it would help out next time. But you need that comfort person. And so the leader or, or the teacher can't look at the comfort person and be like, hey, why don't you help? Why don't you help clean this up? What are you doing? You're just comforting that. No, they're operating in their gift and you operate in yours. You see how this works. Gifts can either divide or complement. In this church, we want them to complement. And we need to know what our gifts are, which leads me to my next question uh, is this. How, this is the big question, how do I find my gift? How do I find it? 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, which means we need, to be, we need to be seeking after operating in our gift. One of the ways that we want to help you do that is through what we're calling Growth Track, and actually it's meeting right now in our Cultivate Room. There's a group of people right now, and this is week two of our Growth Track class, and it's called My Place. We started with the first week, which is My Generation, and My Place, you're actually, they're taking a, a test, not a personality test, but a test to help them discover their motivational gift. And then areas in the church and areas that we can help them plug that would fit their motivation. And so this is just one way we want to help you find out what your gift is. But I want to say this about the second thing, uh, a way that you can find out what your gift is. Listen, serving is the gateway to gifting. In other words, gifts are discovered and developed by action. Discovered and developed by Action. Well, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor and you got the mic and, and you know, you, you obviously just you just kind of were born and knew your gift. Well, or <laughs> or I was the guy in my 20s who had no idea what my gift or what my place in the body of Christ was. I moved to Central America with my family with all intentions to be a missionary for the rest of my life. I was the guy working 10 to 12 hours as a construction guy building an orphanage, 
sweating, no air conditioner, mosquitoes, cutting steel with a hacksaw. Come on, somebody. I got scars on my arm right there to prove it. It it wasn't like, hey, will you run to uh, Home Depot and grab the saw? Ain't no Home Depot. As a matter of fact, when we poured the first floor and it was time to pour the second floor, you have to, you have to sort of support the beams before you, before you pour cement on a second floor. And you, usually you, you use just like two-by-fours and you put them all over the place to help support it. We didn't have two-by-fours. You know what we had? The bush. Y'all like, what you talking about? What I'm talking about, we went in the woods and we cut down little trees. I'm talking about real work. Didn't know what I, I'm just serving. I'm like, I'm just here. I'm just like, God, I just want to be obedient in the season that you have me in right now. Then he called me to, to, to move here to help my dad. Started as a youth pastor. Never done that before. Have no idea what I'm doing. What do youth pastors do? I don't know. I had four kids my first Wednesday night, and it was in this room over here, and no air conditioning, and it was just a a warehouse and oil-stained floors all over the place. I didn't know what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm here, God. And then I began to just serve where needed, working two jobs, led a college small group. Before we even had small groups here, I had 25 college students at my house every Sunday. Never done that before. I'm just like, I don't know. It's an, yeah, I'll do it. Cleaning the building here and helping cut grass. And, and I'm, just, I'm just trying to be obedient. And I believe the reason, one of the reasons that I'm standing here today holding a mic is because I never chased it. In other words, I, I never desired to be in a spotlight. I never desired the microphone. I just, I just hungered after Jesus and I let him do the rest. And so, and so whether it's a youth group with four students or whether it's the jungles of Belize or whether it's standing up here, I'm just trying to be obedient. I'm just trying to say yes to Jesus. But let me say this, some of you, <clears throat> you're chasing the mic is an indicator that you're not ready for the mic. Let me say it this way. Some of you chase the spotlight and it's proof that you're not ready for it. This cannot be about us in the the limelight. As a matter of fact, we have it twisted in church. Many times we think up here, important gift. Serving, parking, cleaning, low gift. Uh, who cares about that? I'm beyond that. Maybe when I was younger, I would have taken out the trash for the church. I've taught Sunday school before. How dare I take out the trash? Did you know that the Bible, you go study it. First Corinthians 12, 13, 14. It talks about how we actually, what we deem as the low gifts, the serving gifts, the kingdom of God actually deems above the spotlight gifts. So in other words, the guys who are parking in the kingdom are more important than me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But we have it twisted, and so many times we think, unless I'm up here, and unless I'm, I have an audience, unless I have a microphone, listen, if you can't use your mouth out there, you probably shouldn't use it up here. Lord, help me. 
It was in my serving that I discovered my gifting. I, let me just explain this to you real quick. I found a lane of grace. This is what will happen to you as you begin to serve and as you just begin to say yes to Jesus. And we don't focus on, on, on doing. We focus on being in relationship with Jesus and then responding out of obedience and just getting in the game. And saying, man, I'm here for a purpose. I've been given one of these motivational gifts. And how can I fit into what God's doing here? How can I fit into what God is doing here? And as you begin to serve, you will find a lane of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, this is what happened to me. All of a sudden, I began to have to speak. I, I never, you know this, I've, I've said this before. I, I was not the guy who liked to be in front of people, was nervous to share in a small group, didn't like, I did not want to be a preacher. But, but I, as, as I, God told me, you're going to be a youth pastor. Well, guess what? You got to speak. I got to speak the gospel. I didn't want to do it. You know, but I kept being pushed there and, and, and communicating the gospel. I began to find this lane that I could operate in and there was a grace for it. And there were moments when it was very difficult and it was very trying and I was getting, you know, nobody was saying, hey, great job. I mean, you're talking to teenagers, right? So you start preaching to teenagers, you're not getting a pat on the back. There were times where I'm, I'm spending hours and hours and hours in prayer and preparation, and I would stand up to six kids on their cell phones. Talking about, is it over yet? <laughs> when is this over? And I could have been mad and said, hold on a minute now. Do you know the hours that I've spent in preparation? How dare you? No, no, no. It wasn't necessarily even the preparation for the sermon. It was the preparation for the calling. <laughs> It was the preparation for the calling that God had placed on my life. And I could have easily said, no, 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 no. Four youth in a hot room? Oh, I'm above that. I was a missionary. What? Yeah, you keep that attitude and see if God ever does anything else with you. He's looking for willingness, not perfection. He's looking for people who will say, I just want to be obedient to you, and I want to focus on relationship with you, and I know that you're developing right, me right now. And if it's in the park, do you know how many people are being developed in that parking lot right now? Come on now. He's removing things, and he's adding things, and he's using them. And, and listen, there's preparation no matter what season you're in. But we have to understand this. Serving. In your serving, you will discover your gifting because God will always lead you into your giftedness if you'll step out. It's not like this game, right? It's like we think purpose and gifting like, like you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is like, all right, let's hide it under this rock now. They're never going to find their gift. Oh, I've got this purpose for this person. I'm going to make sure they can't. They got to look really hard for that one. No, he's not trying to keep things from you. He wants you to walk in them. Jesus died so you could have these things. You with me? I found a lane of grace. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6, and we're closing with the story of Philip. Acts chapter 6, because we see the story of Philip. I love this story because it's such a great picture of the way that God can develop us and use us if we'll just get into the game and begin to serve and find, eventually, find a lane of gifting, find a lane of anointing, a lane of grace, and then all of a sudden, we're, 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 we've stepped into our calling. 
Acts chapter 6, we see uh, that in, it says in verse 1, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and says, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, and whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And guess what? They chose Philip. And, you know, the, the verse makes it sound all spiritual. But let me just tell you what happened. People were complaining. Some, some, some widows were complaining. And they had a problem on their hands. And they were like, look, I'm doing a whole lot of other things. I can't also take care of all these widows. So, hey, yeah, get the kid in the corner over there. Yeah, Philip. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Philip, he'll work. He, he's been here. He's been faithful. Yeah, go, go, go serve the widows. And Philip said, okay. And so he's stepping in. He's serving. He's serving widows. And it leads him to Acts chapter 8 where we see him, you know, uh, ministering. He had an open door to an Ethiopian eunuch. And, and he begins to preach to this guy. And then it says at the end of that chapter that it, it actually opened the door for him to preach the gospel to surrounding regions and areas. So we see here now he's just serving widows, but, but in his serving, a door opened up that he walked through. And all of a sudden now he's preaching the gospel and he's like, wow, success. People got saved. And then another door opened and now he's able to preach here. People are getting saved. Oh my goodness. And, and by the time you get to Acts 21, matter of fact, just turn it, turn it with me. I want you to see it for yourself. Acts 21, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. Philip the evangelist? I thought he was Philip, the server of widows. Oh, he was. <laughs> he walked through that door. He served in obedience. And in his serving, doors of grace were opened up, and he began to see, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I feel a grace when I operate in this way. And he began to sh share the gospel everywhere he went until finally he's now known as Philip, the evangelist. wonder how many people here serving in the cafe, serving in the parking lot, cleaning this building every week are John the evangelist. John the, the world changer. Bill the world changer. But you would never find that out unless you're willing to step out and begin to serve. And most 87% of the body of Christ never gets to this place of understanding their design and allowing their design to open the door to their destiny, not the other way around. So our prayer for you and wrapping all of this up is what, what do I want you to walk out of here with today? Let me just share a couple of things. I want you to know you, not the, your neighbor, you individually, you were designed and gifted by God. You were. Don't waste that. Knowing your design will lead you into your calling. Don't chase your calling. Don't chase the mic. Chase Jesus. And serving is the gateway to gifting. So step out and let God use you. Amen, church.
Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Thank you that there are those in the room who've been on the sideline, but you're calling them into the game. I thank you, Father, that there are many, many, many men and women in this room who are currently Philip, the server of widows. And in their serving widows, and in their serving in the parking lot, and in their serving in the cafe, and in their serving on the worship team, and in their serving in in, in whatever it may be, you are developing them into Philip, the evangelist. I thank you for that. I thank you for not leaving us, not saving us and then leaving us, but desiring the full process of freedom. Thank you, and I declare that over every single person in this room. In Jesus' name. And listen, with heads bowed and eyes still closed, I want to ask this question. Is anybody in this room, anyone at all, say, you know what? I'm not really sure where I stand in my relationship with God or if I even have a relationship with God. And I'm going to ask you a question that was asked Friday night in the streets in a neighborhood. If you died in this very moment, do you know that you know that you would spend eternity with God in heaven? And if there's one single doubt in your mind, you need to get right with God today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's not for tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. We've got today, and today God might be knocking on your heart. And if he's knocking on your heart, I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you right now in this moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, slip your hand up and let me pray with you. Say, I'm ready to make a decision for Jesus. Anyone at all? Amen. I see your hands. Anyone else? Listen, here's what I want to do. You can put your hands down. Heads bowed, eyes still closed, and I want... Even those watching right now, countless people who are going to watch this online, and those of you who raised your hand, I want you to say a simple prayer with me. Say it out loud. And I just want all of us together to say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and you were raised on the third day and you are alive. And today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Fill me with your spirit, and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.